You know, we sing psalms like that, and they're not the happy, make-you-feel-good kind of songs that, that we hear on Christian radio. But they're honest. And they're honest in a way that 1 Peter 4 is honest. That we live in a world that is filled with suffering. We live in a world where we often are brought low. And sometimes even for doing the right thing, as the psalmist here proclaims, it is my zeal for your house that has consumed me. And those who who seem to prosper, they make me their jest. They make me the joke. That's the world in which we live. But God hears our prayer. And not only does He hear our prayer, but, but this is the song of Christ. He was able to sing that. He understood what it was like to suffer in the flesh. And this was His psalm. And we sing it after Him as we share in His sufferings, as we share in what He endured, knowing that we also will share in His glory. And that's a big part of what we're considering this morning in the last section of 1 Peter 4. We've heard that as we live in this world, we often will endure difficult times. But we are to serve as those who have been equipped by God to be His ambassadors, to be His representatives in this world. And if we do that, if we're seeking to uh, speak as speaking the oracles of God, to minister as those who've been equipped by God, life won't always be easy, but the Lord will always be there for us. So we read beginning in verse 12, the apostle says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Amen. Amen indeed. Dear church of God, beloved in Christ. Suffering is hard to endure. There's no way to, to sugarcoat that. We greatly prefer to experience pleasurable events, obviously. And when we do experience suffering and trials, well, we generally want to know why. We want to make sense of the suffering. We want to see that it all has purpose. And when we can't determine the purpose, which often is the case, when we can't determine the purpose, we tend to get about as testy as old Job arguing with the well-meaning but foolish friends who come up and offer their condolences, proclaiming our innocence, even maybe demanding our day in court. Suffering is hard to endure. However, in this world, with all of its brokenness and sin and sorrow, in this world, we are absolutely guaranteed to endure suffering. 
Sometimes it'll be at the hand of God's enemies in their hatred. Sometimes it'll be the result of our own sin and foolishness. Sometimes it'll just be the result of living in a world that is broken, where we get sick, where we contract diseases, where we endure natural disasters. Suffering is inevitable for those who remain in this world. The only questions are, what will be the nature of your suffering? And how will you respond? And that's the question that really needs to consume us. How will you respond? Especially if today you're not suffering. If today you're not enduring anything. You have no problems with your relationships. You're you're feeling fine in your body. Everything seems good. Today's the day to consider. Because the suffering will come. The hardships, the trials, the difficulties, the question you need to ask today is how will you greet those difficult times? And if you're already enduring those difficult times, if right now you're finding that it was exceedingly difficult just to get here because of the pain of the body or or of the soul, if today you're struggling and you don't know how you're going to get through the next 24 hours, today you need to hear what the Lord has to say about how He will equip you, how He will sustain you in the midst of that, because you're not alone. The Lord has prepared for just what you're going through. God equips His saints for the suffering that they must endure. That's what we find in this passage we've just read. And as we consider how God equips His saints for the suffering that they must endure, that they must encounter, the first thing that we see isn't how He provides for us. It's simply a calling to expect the suffering that tests us. So that's our first point. We are to expect the suffering that tests us. Notice how Peter begins this section, however. I think it's really important that he begins this section as we often begin our sermons by hearing that we are the beloved ones. Beloved, he addresses God's people. That's important. Because he's about to talk about how we will suffer. And when we suffer, we tend to feel alone. But Peter reminds us from the very start, you're not alone. You are those whom God loves. And if he loves you, then he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to neglect you. He's not going to fail to meet your needs. He loves you. We need to always remember that. God Himself, the King of kings, the one who sent His Son to die for us. He loves us. And therefore, we can be confident that He will be with us, that He will care for us, that He will meet our needs. Nonetheless, even though we are God's beloved, we must expect to endure suffering. We must expect that. Because frankly, that's the world in which we live. This world is filled with brokenness. We get sick. We endure injuries. Sometimes things happen that we can't predict and we want to find meaning in them and we just can't see what that meaning might be. A tornado comes and it takes your house or your property and not those around you. Lightning strikes and it hits your place of work, causes much damage, causes hardship. You get that diagnosis that you think only other people get. We've seen folks enduring it all our lives. So why would we think that we ourselves would escape? We've seen wicked people endure these hard things, but we've also seen the righteous suffer. So why would we think that we will be exempt? 
And all the more because we are believers. Because not only is this world broken, not only is this world filled with just pain, but it's filled with unbelievers who hate God. And we love God. And we're called to reflect God to this watching world. So we should expect that some of them are going to respond badly to that. They're not going to be able to resist mistreating us. They're going to take out their hatred of Him upon us. In fact, the Apostle Paul even warns us that that's going to happen. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. It might be minuscule persecution for some of you, and for some of you it'll be all-consuming and overwhelming. But one way or another, we will endure persecution. So we should expect that suffering, both the suffering of a, a rebellious world and the suffering of a broken creation. So you whom God loves, do not think it strange when it befalls you. But remember that God is sovereign even over your suffering. Peter says the trials that we will experience are fiery. It burns to endure those things. It hurts. It's hard. Whether we trust in God or not, it hurts to endure the suffering of this world. Nonetheless, regardless of what we're suffering, we need to understand that it's not without purpose. What would make the hurt, the pain, the suffering even worse is to have no choice but to believe that it was without purpose. That there was no end to it. There was no goal behind it. How impossible that would be to endure. To know that you're suffering for nothing. To think that there's no ultimate goal behind it. That, that all that you're enduring, all that you're dealing with, it's not going to benefit you in any way. It's not going to bless you at the end. That would be horrific. But praise the Lord, that's not the case. God is sovereign also over our suffering, and therefore we're able to face it with confidence, knowing that God will use it and that God will deliver us from it. We can know that because the apostle says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. A couple things there. First of all, it is fiery. There's a reason he uses that imagery. And that's because it is to try us, to test us, to... Well, the image he's using there is the image of a metalsmith, really. Think of a metalsmith who's working in gold or silver. He takes that, that precious metal in its raw form. And it's precious, but it's filled with impurities. So what does he do? He takes that, that metal ore, that silver ore or gold ore, and he puts it in the fire. He heats it up, causing it to become molten so that the impurities can be separated out. And then he continues to heat it up. And pretty soon, those impurities begin to burn off. Now that takes a, a skillful hand to ensure that that ore gets heated up enough that it becomes molten and that the impurities burn off, but not so hot that the metal itself is damaged. That takes skill. And that's what God is doing for us. Whether it is 
a sickness, a disease that you're dealing with, or oppression from outside, or, or the stress of a far too busy life with what seem like too many responsibilities. God is using all of that to try us, to test us, to, to strengthen us. He's burning away the impurities. And meanwhile, He's testing our faith to see if we will really truly trust in Him and if we will trust in Him throughout it all. And when it seems like we're about to falter, when it seems like we're about to become burned up, He's the one who decreases the heat. He's the one who brings us back into that level of tolerance so that we will be strengthened rather than destroyed. So expect the suffering, but expect that God will use it to test you, to strengthen you, to purify His beloved people in Christ. We don't know what flavor that persecution, that pain, that suffering might come in, but we know it'll come. And we also know that God will use it for our good. So don't don't be surprised. But instead, look to Him. That's... That's the second thing we see here. It's important how we respond to our suffering. Our attitude, our intention, when we find that suffering coming upon us, when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, where are we going to look? How are we going to find strength? And what will be our attitude? in the midst of it. And so what we see in this second section, verses 13 through 16, is that we're called to exalt the Savior who sustains us. There's two aspects to that, right? Exaltation, but also sustaining us. Peter's first counsel for those who are suffering really seems a bit strange. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice! Rejoice! to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. Now to say the least, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? We go out of our way to avoid suffering, to avoid pain, to avoid strife. And now here comes God's representative, the Apostle Peter, saying, when you suffer, rejoice. That seems weird. But you know, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap with joy. Wow. Jesus said it. And the apostles, they did it. In Acts 5, we read about how the apostles were teaching and preaching in the temple and they were arrested and thrown into jail. And they were brought before the Jewish high council and the Jewish council pondered together how they should treat these folks who continued to insist on proclaiming the name of Christ whom they killed. And so finally they resolved to warn them never to do it again and to beat them. That was no small punishment, to beat them. But what was the response of the apostles? They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Christ's name. So in the light of that, we need to consider carefully Peter's command to rejoice in our suffering. Why does he tell us that? Well, the first reason he tells us that is because when we suffer, we share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that's not to say that we, that we take any part in 
obtaining our atonement. Not at all. Jesus did it all to save us. Everything we needed to be delivered from our sin, to be reconciled to God, He accomplished all of that. But our suffering reflects the fact that we're joined to Him, that we're united to Him. Our suffering reflects the suffering that the Savior did on our behalf. What an honor that is to be so closely associated with Christ. I mean, consider it. Consider it in real life. You're slandered as a holy roller because you refuse to come into work on, on the Lord's Day. But really, the slander that they level at you is slander leveled against God because what they're really complaining about is that you won't join them in rebelling against God, that you won't join them in rejecting God's order of things. Or maybe you're taken advantage of because folks know that you won't seek revenge. But the reason they're taking advantage of you isn't because you're soft, isn't because you're weak, it's because they see Christ in you, Christ who is meek, Christ who's willing to turn the other cheek. So rejoice to follow in his footsteps. Rejoice and celebrate that you reflect his character. And meanwhile, be confident that you will also share in Jesus' glory, which is another reason for our rejoicing. Listen to verse 13 again. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. When his glory is revealed. Paul's talking about how the fullness of Jesus' victory will be revealed at His second coming. At that time, we will see the full extent of His salvation, His victory over sin and Satan and death. We'll see the complete renewal of ourselves and of all who are in Christ. We'll see the perfecting of the people of God. All that Jesus has accomplished will be unveiled in that day. And we, we who shared in His suffering, we will share in that glory that is unveiled. How great will be our joy then? We, we recall the promise that we heard in Romans 8. We are heir, children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. If we have shared in His suffering, if we have endured suffering with our eyes upon Christ, with our, our hearts confident that the Lord is in control of this also, then we will also share in His glory at Christ's coming. You see the amazing thing that God has done here? He has taken that reality of our suffering which is unavoidable. We will suffer in this world. We can't avoid that reality. But He has taken that suffering that we can't avoid and He has turned it into an assurance that neither can we avoid the glory that soon will be ours. Isn't that amazing? He takes what what could be seen as the absolute worst part of our life, and he's turned it into a reminder of the best part of our eternity. Just as surely as you suffer in this world as Christ's disciple, just as surely as you endure the hardship and the pain and the difficulty, so surely will you enjoy the glory of Christ. Will you be united to the perfection of his victory? What What a blessing. So rejoice even in your suffering, knowing that suffering is a reminder that what is to come is greater than anything this world has ever known. Remember that promise well. When you are brought low by folks who scorn you and your faith as backward and foolish, remember that they also mocked Jesus and that you will join him when he stands victorious over all who mock. When they attack your reputation because you refuse to affirm their sin, 
Turn your mind to that time soon to come when the last shall be first. In that day you will be blessed to celebrate the glory of those who refuse to exalt sin. In fact, the apostle says you are blessed in your suffering. Blessed. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, he says, reproached, that means insulted or slandered. This isn't the first time Peter has suggested that people will speak ill of us. In chapter 3, he said they will defame you as evildoers. They will revile your good conduct. Early in this chapter, he said that folks will speak evil of God's people. And yet we are blessed because their slander reveals that they see in us the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why they despise us. That's what caused their offense. They hate us because they see God living in us. But blessed are you when they explode at you because it shows that the work of the Holy Spirit was unavoidable in their eyes. So don't get offended when unbelievers speak ill of you. They did the same thing to Jesus. In fact, when he, when he was healing a bunch of people and he was casting out their demons, what did they say? Well, you only do that by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. That takes a hard heart. To look at the works of the Holy Spirit done by the hand of the Son of God and say that's the work of Satan. But Jesus didn't miss a beat. He warned them that that is the one sin of which one cannot be forgiven because that is the sin that hardens you against God and His grace. And then He went on and He did the works that God had commanded Him all the more. So must we do. What we must not do is allow ourselves to deserve to suffer. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. In other words, Peter's saying, don't live the way the world lives and then say you're suffering for Christ. And we all know that temptation. Kids, you know that temptation, right? Mom says... You need to be doing this. You need to, to finish your homework. You need to do this chore. And then a, a little while later she walks in and the chore is not done. The homework has not been cracked open. And there you sit playing a video game. Or chatting with your friends on the phone. And then she takes away a privilege or two. She takes away your phone. She removes your video game console. She causes that sin to hurt. And all of a sudden she's the bad guy. Right? Oh, you're so mean. You just don't understand. What have we done? We've suffered justly. We've suffered because of something that we have done, something that we have earned. But we're claiming that we're suffering as one who's innocent. We're a martyr. Peter says, don't do that. Instead, live as someone who never deserves justice. When you feel the temptation to do something unrighteous, to say something cruel about someone else just to get a laugh, to steal something because you didn't bring money or because you just want to see if you can get away with it or, or to lie in order to take credit for what someone else has done or to not do the thing that you've been commanded by someone in charge over you to do. When you're tempted to do those wrong things, refuse. Lest you suffer as an evildoer. Instead, pray that God would give you the strength to overcome that temptation and always remember that you are united to Jesus. 
Young people, always remember that you are united to Jesus Christ. So what you do reflects on Him. Whether you do what is righteous and upright and draw people to His holiness, or whether you do something that is wicked, something that is untoward, something that will cause people to blaspheme the Christ whose name you hold. And when you do suffer unjustly, when you've done what's right and still you suffer... Don't give in to shame. The world will strive to shame you. When you refuse to use your business in order to celebrate sin and the government intervenes and fines you. We've seen that a number of times over the past few years, right? Folks will say what? Well, they deserved it. That, that business owner was a, a fundamentalist, a bigot, an intolerant fool. Or when you get sued because you've tried to do what is right in God's sight, and the community says, well, you were just being unreasonable. You should have just gone along with what they said. No. But all, all the, that same time that the community or the world is slandering you, Satan's whispering in your ear and saying, you know what? You should be ashamed of yourself. You, you should be ashamed of what you've done. And Peter says, don't you give in to their slander. If you've done something wrong, if you've sinned, by all means repent. But if you haven't, if you've stood firm on God's word, if you've done what is right, and everyone in the community says that it's wrong, and Satan's with you, don't give in to shame, he says. Instead, exalt the Savior who sustains you. He's the one who is sovereign over it all. So give Him the praise. Give Him the honor. Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ and trust that He will get you through it, that He will sustain you, that He will never leave nor forsake you. And then having rejoiced in Him, endure that struggle that will refine you. That's the last thing we see here, and it's important because it's, it's the counsel that Peter gives us that says, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't just sit down and, and weep. Keep going. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. What's that mean? Well, that's a reminder and it's a warning. It's a reminder that all men must one day stand before the throne of God. No one will escape answering for how they've lived. And that includes God's people. Now that doesn't mean that we're not saved through Christ. We're saved entirely and only through what Jesus has done. And if you've trusted in Jesus to save you, then no one can snatch you away from His hand. The justice of God has been satisfied for all the sins you ever have committed and all the sins you ever will commit. But still, we must stand before God's judgment. He will open the book of life. And see that you're numbered there and that you are one of His. But 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that all that we've done will also be tested by the fire. And that which was unworthy of Christ, that which was unworthy of your standing as a disciple, it will be burned up. You will be saved, but as one rescued through the fire. But on the other hand, that which was built with gold and silver and precious stones, that which was built on a foundation of the faith of Christ and the truth of God's Word, that will endure and will give glory to God. So judgment will also come to those who've lived for Christ. He will evaluate how we've lived. He will ask, did your life testify that you belong to my Son? 
And if judgment begins with us, then what will come of those who have rejected God, those who have stood firm against Him, those who have hated the Lord? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will the, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What does it mean that we are scarcely saved? Well, folks, when we look at our deeds, our very best acts can't save us. The only way we will be saved is through Christ. It's not, not even the slightest bit attributable to what you have done. Well, if that's true for us, what about that person who lives in ungodliness, who embraces sin? Where is their hope? Well, they have none. Their rebellion, their hatred, their scorn of God, all of it will be put on full display. How horrific that day will be for them. The only wise thing they have, the only wise choice they can choose is to repent of their sin and seek Christ today. So it's a warning. But it's also a reminder couched in comfort. To be sure, what we read here humbles us. We can't even begin to save ourselves. And much of what we have done will be burned up as having been unworthy. However, the flames of God's judgment will reveal that we do in fact belong to Christ. It will reveal that we have repented of our sin, that we have trusted in Christ, that we have worshipped the Lord, that we have exalted the One who sustains us. And we will be welcomed into the presence of God with great joy. And therefore today, we can stand firm with great confidence. Trusting that He, will, he who, who has promised to sustain us in the midst of the judgment, He will cause us to, to stand firm even in the, the suffering that we endure today. And therefore we look to Him. We follow after Him. We trust in Him day by day and moment by moment. And sometimes that seems overwhelming. When the doctors come in, not, not just with this diagnosis, but with that one and that one and that one too. And we don't even know where to start. Or when we've had such a bad day at work because our supervisor was on us and our co-workers were on us and then we come home and now our spouse is on us and it seems like we've nowhere left to turn. Or when we, we do our devotions and every time we open the Bible it seems like we encounter a new sins that we've just not conquered. Sins that seem to hold sway over us and we get so very discouraged. suffering but Jesus says if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me take up your cross endure that suffering rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer with Christ and then follow him him who in all that he did was striving Simply to do the will of God. Simply to obey the Lord. Him who longed to avoid the worst of the suffering because he knew what it would endure, but he fell to his knees and cried out, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Follow him. Bearing your cross, knowing that the end of that cross, yes, is the destruction of your sin nature but also is the empty tomb. And the new life, the resurrection life, the endless life that is yours in Christ. 
persist, endure, knowing that He's refining you, knowing that He is destroying that old nature that would have destroyed you. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him. Trust Him. Know that He will use it and do good. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Don't focus on the hurt. Don't focus on the struggle. Don't focus on the vast list of things you need to do. Obey Him in the next thing. And then the thing after that. And then the thing after that. And trust Him to give you the strength for that next thing each time. Brothers and sisters, this world is filled with suffering. That's hard. And we need to expect that suffering, but we need to expect it as suffering that tests us, that tries us, that refines us in Christ. And in the midst of it, we need to exalt the Savior who sustains us, knowing that He and He alone will cause us to endure the struggle that will refine us. So look to Him, trust in Him. And let us make it our prayer that as we struggle, and as He brings us through that struggle, He will receive the glory that He so richly deserves. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we confess we we don't understand oftentimes the struggle that we must endure. We don't get it why we have to face the things that we face. But we know that You do know. That You do have a purpose and a plan for everything that we endure. So, Father, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would provide for us, that you would cause us even to rejoice as we endure whatever you have ordained for us to face. And may you be glorified through it, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.